All right, we are in Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. And what we have coming out of chapter 7 is the conflict with the, the religious leaders about the clean and unclean. And Jesus apparently is going to actually be leaving the land of Israel, land, leaving Galilee, leaving the land of the Jews, and going up into Phoenicia, Tyre, going all the way up to Sidon, then coming back, crossing over to Decapolis in these next uh, verses, going up into chapter 8, verse 13. Now, I'm not sure how far we're going to get tonight, but we're going to see Jesus. I'll show you some maps here. Here is uh, the Mediterranean Sea. Here's Galilee. Here's Decapolis. The, the ten cities are over here, ten, depending on what time, uh, a period of time it is, if it's ten or twelve cities. Uh, he'd gone over here already and had cast the demon out of a man, and the man was told to go and tell everybody. And that may be why we see a great response over here in Decapolis when Jesus goes there in chapter 8. But right now, he's over in this general area of the Sea of Galilee. He's going to list his Capernaum. Last time we heard him that where he was at was again a Sarah, right in here where he sailed back across. And the Pharisees were arguing with him about clean and unclean food. And Jesus is going to leave and go up to Tyre or the vicinity of Tyre then go 22 miles further north to Sidon, and then is going to go back into Decapolis. And I've got a couple maps we're going to take a look at. Uh, this is 35 miles, then 22 miles. The whole route, then he's going to come down here, cross over, and come back over to this area. It's going to be about a 120-mile route. Jesus appears to be doing this uh, intentionally, obviously, but it's it's as almost like a response. He's going to leave the sea, uh, land of Galilee, leave the land of Judea, or Ju uh, the Jews, and go up into Gentile territory. It may be because of wanting to spend time with his disciples, just to get them alone, teach them. It may be to show them the, the, the ministry of, to the Gentiles, which they're going to be going to. It may be because he's tired of the conflict with the religious leaders. It may be because Herod uh, Antipas, who was in charge of the land of Galilee and Perea, uh, east of Judea, uh, and thought he'd killed John the Baptist, and he thought Jesus was John the Baptist come back to life. So he may be avoiding that, just basically buying time until it's time for his ministry to continue. So he is going to go away with his disciples. He is going to go in the Gentile territory. He's going to have a tremendous response, especially after having the conversation with the, the religious leaders about clean and unclean food and all the other things. And he's going to go up into the unclean territory. He's going to be spending time with unclean people in unclean territory with the Gentiles. But also, he's going to be uh, fulfilling the role of the Messiah because the Messiah is not coming just for the Jews. He's going to come first for the Jews and then the Gentiles. It's, it's both the ministry of the Messiah and an eschatological uh, fulfillment or a sign of, of things that are to come. Uh, the, the ministry of salvation is always available for the Gentiles, and they're going to see this. What's going to be interesting as we go through this is as we navigate through this first story about the Phoenician woman, who Matthew calls, in fact, Matthew begins the, the account by just saying, Behold, the Canaanite woman. Uh, and remember, the Canaanites, how evil they were, where here's someone that's an ancestor of the Canaanites living up in the land of Phoenicia, and Jesus goes directly to her and has a debate with her. And you're going to have to decide, 
is, is Jesus arguing with her, and she convinces Jesus to change his mind, which is probably not the case, or is Jesus testing her faith in the sense of challenging her and watching her rise up and he's using her as a demonstration because all the apostles the disciples are observing this take place and you've got to imagine uh what they're thinking as they leave galilee Uh, actually you know you'd heard people pressuring him go to jerusalem go to jerusalem now he's actually even leaving jewish territory and going up into uh phoenicia so it's a great story uh i've got on your papers there and on my uh, little tv here there's this map right here let's go to this one first oh boy let's go to this one first uh and we're not exactly sure how the route is but he's going to be in galilee take 35 miles up to tyre and now he's in the land of phoenicia lebanon today syria is here lebanon is here or in this time it was uh phoenicia and then he's, it says, we'll read the text, and I want you to look at this and then hear the text. He's, he's going to be in the vicinity of Tyre, so we're not sure he's in the city of Tyre, but in the vicinity, and he's going to be in a house with his disciples, and the woman is going to come to him. He's going to speak to her, debate with her, and what's going to end up happening is he's going to say, your daughter is healed, and uh, she's going to go home, and the daughter is healed. And so the daughter's not going to be there. He's just going to speak. And then he's going to go 22 miles up to Sidon, which it makes it very clear he's in Sidon. And then from there, he's going to go back either into, into the Galilee area and pass through, but he's going to end up in Decapolis. This whole route up here would be about 120 miles because we're going to see it once he gets done feeding the 4,000. He's going to feed 4,000, and it's going to be a different story than the 5,000. Some people say it's, it's like, you know, it's the same story repeated twice. But if you're, if you're the writers of the Gospels and you, you didn't realize, oh man, I already told that story, or how sloppy is it to tell the story about 5,000 and a legend builds it into 4,000, you tell it again. That's not the way the Gospels, they're not that sloppy. In fact, John even talks about, he only tells you seven major signs, and he says there's a whole mo- many other things I could tell you, but these, these are enough for you to believe. If you will not believe Jesus is the Messiah after these seven stories, and he doesn't say it that way that well then you're not going to get saved but he says these are seven he says i could write more i mean the whole world couldn't contain all the books so these guys know the stories and so the, i don't think it's a mistake it's it's here that people are going to follow him into decapolis or the decapolis gentiles will not leave jesus and he's going to have to have compassion on them it's a, it's similar but there's enough differences that he's going to be feeding the four thousand gentiles now now uh, this is the route right here that looks like this. He's then going to sail across back to Del Manutha, which is on. It, it's not real clear where where it's at, where, where a land marker. But as the story goes, it's in this general area on the coast right here, uh, kind of where he was before. And then when he gets off the boat, the religious leaders are going to meet him again and start arguing with him and asking for, if you're really the uh, Son of God, if you're really the Messiah, give us a sign. And he says no, gets back, immediately back in the boat, sails to Bethsaida, and goes up to Caesarea Philippi. So this is, this is the, he's, he's, he's done with Galilee. He, he's, he's done with Galilee. He's going to leave, have this Gentile ministry, stop back home for a moment, get back in the boat, and leave, go back up to another Gentile territory, and from there, marches straight into Jerusalem. So this is the end of the Galilean ministry. And he, he's not, 
He's not pleased. He's not impressed with them. Uh, Matthew has very similar accounts. Luke skips this whole process of the, this Gentile ministry. He doesn't, he doesn't detail it. Matthew does. Now here is uh, an, another map. <laughs> very similar, very similar. Uh, he starts here. Goes up to see. I don't have the tire inside. And goes up into Phoenicia and comes back here. I've got him coming back, back towards Capernaum, going over to Bethsaida, and then going through Decapolis. And right here, feeding the four thousand in this general area here. They're getting on a boat, going over to Magdala, which is Delmuth, Delmanu, Del, Delmanutha, and then right away getting in the boat, going over to Bethsaida, and up to Caesarea Philippi, where. He's going to ask his disciples, who do men say that I am? It's kind of like a graduation ceremony. It's transfigured on the Mount Hermon, and it comes down. So you can see right here the trail up to Tyre, Sidon, back down to Galilee, over to Bethsaida, across into Decapolis, a tour of Decapolis, where he's widely received. People will not leave him. Comes over here, sails across to Magdala or Delmanutha, then Beth- Bethsaida, and up like this. And then here's the journey, right? Here's the journey to Jerusalem, on to Jerusalem, and we're going to the, the crucifixion at that point. So we'll leave. Well, we, we don't have to have the logo there. We could go ahead and leave that map right there. That's kind of a, that's a nice background right there. All right, so uh, that's what I want you to see. And I'm going to read now um, in the NIV. I, I'm going to read this, this whole section here. Uh, and I want you to hear the, the three main stories. Uh, he's going to have the woman... He's going to go up to Sidon, and come down here. He's going to heal a deaf mute, which appears to have a, uh, a, a hearing problem, which has affected his speech. It's not like he's totally mute. He's just not clear in speaking. He's going to take care of that uh, and then feed the 4,000. And then right here at the end of chapter 8, verses 11, 12, and 13, is going to be in Delmanutha, where he meets the pharisees and leaves again so here's this account and then we'll come back and talk about the woman and uh just see how that map lines up with the story here we go chapter 7 verse 24 um jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of tyre okay leaves the, leaves here after arguing with the, the the religious leaders leaves that place 35 miles goes to the vicinity of tyre he enters the house and did not want anyone to know it again there's that secrecy he's he's alone he's away Uh, maybe wanting to teach the disciples yet he could not keep his presence secret in fact as soon as she heard about him a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet now uh, as soon as she heard about it meaning remember there's already been gentiles come down and and find jesus in galilee during his galilean ministry they already come down from phoenicia they'd come down and gone back having told stories so when jesus comes up here they it's it's like a celebrity coming. they know who he is not like whoa who is this it's not like when he went over and cast the demon out of this guy and they're all like who is this they were terrified they were afraid and begged him to leave and well that man went over and then began to evangelize now when jesus comes back this time they're they're open to him just in, and again none of that's absolute but they they weren't receptive of him so he sent the man back as a as a testimony and when jesus comes back this time you're going to see that they won't leave him alone here they'd come down drifted into galilee and had seen jesus ministry to the jews and the jews are always arguing with him and they'd gone back up and now when he arrives and is alone just like capernaum in his own 
own house or in Peter's house, he's trying to be alone. Well, that's understandable because he's preached in the synagogue. He's done signs. They know who he is. Where he comes up here, goes to a house to be alone, and the, the Phoenicians flock to him. They, they, they already know who he is. And they know what to ask for. And that's going to be an amazing thing here with this Phoenician woman, what she understands. Uh, uh, and a lot of times we think, you know, I mean, we, I say we, I, I, you think some of these people, especially Old Testament people or some of these Gentiles, they don't really understand. But there's a knowledge, there's an understanding uh, that, that includes eschatology that they've got a grasp on. But nonetheless, the woman was a Greek born in Syria, Phoenicia, or Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive a demon out of her daughter. Notice right here, it's an evil spirit. Now it's a demon. Again, it's, they're being used as synonyms. Now Jesus says something. We're going to talk about this. He says, she begs him, please heal my daughter. Jesus responds, first let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Now he just called the woman a dog. This is not... This is not, uh, this is going to get Jesus canceled. Uh, yes, Lord, she replied. Now, notice what she says. How dare you? That's not what she says. She just says, yes, Lord. She agrees with him. She replied, but she uses a very solid theology. She says, yes, Lord. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. We have our place. We dogs have our place, and the children are first, but we dogs which is exactly, and watch Jesus, then he told her, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. So what is going on in that story? We'll spend some time talking about it. She went home and found her child lying on a bed and the demon gone. Again, resting at home, the demon was gone and, and, the, and, she, and the child was fine. Okay, that's that story. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre, where he'd gone into the vicinity of Tyre, and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee. He's going to the Sea of Galilee, but he goes through Sidon, which is 22 miles further north, and then down to Galilee. And that's why on this other map, I've got him going into Galilee, you know, back to Capernaum, then over to Bethsaida, into Decapolis. Just, I just have him going straight down, because, I mean, we don't have details, but that's, that's kind of the route he takes. So you, that's why you've got those words you can kind of uh, picture it and figure it out down to the sea of galilee and into the region of decapolis so from sidon down to the sea of galilee like say bethsaida capernaum or to bethsaida then into decapolis or in this case he just goes down past it there are some people brought to him a man who was deaf now these are gentiles all so everybody in this story except jesus and the disciples are gentiles so when he gets over here they bring him a man. There were some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. So you see right there, he's deaf and could hardly talk. He can talk, but it's, it's not correct. And they begged him to place his hand on the man. And we'll talk about this more next week. After he took, now, several things happen here that are interesting that we, we're going to try to get some insight into what's going on here. A lot of it could be, again, be very careful right here. Jesus is not doing magic. And Jesus is not compromising, but Jesus does, he is living in a culture using symbolism and things that they understand. Uh, and so the very fact he's using language, you know, is, he's talking their language. He doesn't come with some heavenly language. He speaks their language. He speaks their dialect. And so there's some of these things that is going on in here. 
they may be, and again, be very careful here, they may be of divine origin, of some great insight, mystical insight, or they may be Jesus who, who can just say, ah, he just challenges a woman's theology, and she answers with a wise, intelligent, theological answer, goes, well, yeah, your daughter has been healed. It's like, I'm not going to heal her. The demon's gone. It's like, so what, what, how, how did he do it? He didn't even like say anything or light a candle or say, I'll go touch her or anything. He just says, just had a little debate with the woman. The woman answered very intelligently, scripturally, and Jesus says, great answer. Yeah, your demon, the demon's gone. It's like, how'd that happen? You don't need to, God can just cause it to happen. Where now he's down here in Decapolis and a lot of strange things. It's like, so Jesus has to jump through all these hoops to get this to happen? Well, the answer is no. He just say, you're fine, you're healed. But he jumps through some hoops. Is this for the people? We'll talk more about it next week, but just listen to this. They brought him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. They begged him to place his hand on the man. First of all, that's what they want. Touch him, touch him. They want to see, they want to see Jesus touch him. That must be where their faith is at. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, so again, that's interesting, doesn't use him as a public demonstration, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. So he's, he's got his fingers stuck in his ear. He spits on the ground, in the guy's face, on his hands. Where I don't know, it doesn't say, it just says he spit. Uh, he looked up to him uh, and, and then touched the man's tongue. Like, did he reach in and touch it with his finger? Did he grab it with his hand? Did he touch it with his tongue? I mean, what, what, what's, go, what, what's going on? He, they begged him to touch, place his hands on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh, why the deep sigh? And said to him, Ephatha, Ephatha, which means be open. Now, again, that's interesting. That's, that's because this is, a, I, I don't want to teach this, but this is a case of an eyewitness account because Jesus is speaking Aramaic. He's not speaking Greek. He's speaking Aramaic. And so whoever's telling Mark this story, which we think is Peter, is going to say, Jesus says, epitha, which means in Greek, be opened. Or in English with the Greek, you know, it's translated, it means be opened. But he doesn't, use the, he doesn't use a Greek word there. It doesn't say, as, a, as we translate it from the Greek. And with a deep sigh, he said, be open, which means be open. So they maintain the Ara- Aramaic word in the Greek account. And when we translate it from Greek into English, they keep the Aramaic word there. And they don't even translate. They just bring the Aramaic word over into the English translation. And then they translate the Greek, which is an explanation of what the Aramaic. So this epitha is what Jesus said that Peter always referred to, even when he was telling the story in Latin or in Greek or wherever he is telling the story. It's recorded in Greek, still maintaining the Aramaic. Aramaic, and now in 2023, we still have it in Aramaic after we've translated everything out of Greek into Latin and then into English, or however we're doing it. Uh, it's, it's interesting, which means this is a first-hand account. This is someone that saw it, and Jesus' original word has kept, he stayed with it the whole way through. 
We'll talk about that later. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, which is literally, it says, unchained, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it, which gives the impression more than this is going on. Meaning the more he healed, the more they kept talking about it. And the more he healed and says, don't be talking about this, the more they kept. People were overwhelmed with amazement. This is now down here in Decapolis. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. During those days, during this time in Decapolis, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and says, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. And again, they are in, in a sense, there's towns there, but they're in an outside the city in a wilderness area. And they're, by the time some of them get back to a place where they could get food, you know, there's not like rest. Well, the restaurants are just down the street or there's Casey's and Quick Trips and gas station. There's, by the time they get anywhere, they're not going to make it. They're not going to make it back. They've been gone too long. They're not going to make it back. Uh, his, uh, uh, because the, uh, some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Then he says, how many loaves? Then that, the, the skeptics will say, the very fact that the disciples asked that question indicates the story of the 5,000, feeding the 5,000 has not happened because if you were there when he fed the 5,000, uh, over in this area when he fed the 5,000 Jews just a few months weeks later now he's got another crowd in the wilderness it's like well why don't you just multiply like you did before why don't they they think that so his disciples answered but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them so that that is a, a an indication that they don't that, that never has happened. Otherwise, surely one of the twelve would say, "Well, that's a stupid question." Don't you remember when he fed the five thousand? Oh yeah, that was oh, that was last Tuesday. I forgot. It's like, how can you forget the feeding of the five thousand? Well, again, we'll talk about that more when we get here. But remember the disciples. That was one a one time event uh, that they had, and it, they they may have you know, they didn't even understand, wrap their mind around it, and possibly they they've. They're out here in the wilderness. It's not common. Jesus doesn't just go around feeding crowds of people. And this is not the only crowd. They haven't had two crowds. They had a, one day they had a crowd of 5,000. And now a few months later they got a crowd of 4,000. I mean they had crowds here. They had crowds in Decapolis before. They had a crowd up in Tyre. What? No. Who knows what happened all the way through all these miles. How many crowds they've had. And they've been with Jesus. And now Jesus says we need to feed these people. And well they've had this crowd with them for three days. And they've never had to feed them. And where are we going to get? So again it's it's not like jesus just is feeding crowds of people he's fed one crowd of people and there's been hundreds of different crowds so again plus the disciples may be struggling and it's going to come up we're going to see again later on in in this same chapter not tonight but they're going to have some problems with this okay his disciples answer where in the uh, this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them how many loaves do you have jesus asked seven they replied he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And there's many things that are similar, but many things that are different. Here he just tells them to sit down. The number of loaves are different. 
When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven baskets of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present, and having sent them away, he got into a boat with the disciples and went to the region of Delmanutha. Again, somewhere in Decapolis. It goes over here to Delmanutha on this side. And then chapter, uh, uh, chapter 8, verse 11. As soon as they get there, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and says, Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. He left them. You're not going to get anything. I'm done with you. I'm not giving you a sign. I've, I've showed you everything. You have seen enough. You do not believe. I'm finished. Gets in the boat and goes to Bethsaida over here. Uh, Bethsaida and then heads on up there and there's some more conversation but that's where we're at in this story as we begin the ministry of the uh, to the Gentiles now looking on the notes uh, we just got several points there Jesus leaves Galilee in Jewish territory we talked about that Ah, interesting Josephus refers to Tyre right here as uh, in his writings I've got that point too Tyre was one of Israel's most bitter enemies when Josephus writes, they were notoriously our bitterest enemies, the people of Tyre. And so when they go up here, Josephus who's going to be writing around 70 AD, a little after 70, between 70 and 90, let's say 75 to 90 AD. Always probably taking notes during the Jewish wars. In fact, we know he is. So yeah, 70 to 90 AD is safe. They're walking into what Josephus is going to call uh, 40 years later. He's going to say these, this is Israel's most bitter enemies uh, up here that he's going to. Uh, and there's those reasons for Jesus leaving the Jewish territory. I've, I've mentioned all of those. Uh, point four, the Gentiles from Phoenicia had already come down. We've mentioned that after a conflict concerning uncleanness. Jesus is going to take his disciples to the most unclean place uh, and show them that not only is all food clean, but all people are clean. And when we look at this Phoenician woman, uh, her, 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 her uh, resume, she's a Canaanite or a Phoenician, a, a Greek-speaking Gentile. She's a woman. She's got a daughter near Tyre in Phoenicia, Canaanite territory, that's demon-possessed. Let's go up here and see what's going on. It's like they can't get any further from the holiness of god in the temple and the priests and the people of god where they've got a court for the women and a court for the men and a court for the gentiles that's the the gentiles are even outside the court of the jewish women so you've got a special place for the high priest and the priest then the place where the levites can go then you've got a court in the temple courts there for the jewish men to go to but then you've got the jewish women can only come this close they can't be with the jewish men and the jewish men can't be with the priest and the priest can't be with the high priest so all we're down here and then here comes all the gentiles like when alexander worshiped the temple he's outside he can't even get as close as the jewish women can get alexander the great he's got to stand outside in the court of the gentiles and he did he was he, he worshiped from there well now jesus is going to go out of Jewish territory, away from the religious leaders who are rejecting him, and go up into unclean Gentile territory, not to a Gentile man, but to a woman 
who's got a demon-possessed daughter in a, a terrible Canaanite territory, and he's going to have a theological debate with her, and she apparently is going to outmaneuver him, which probably isn't what is happening. He's probably setting her up, trying to get her to outmaneuver him, and she responds, and he's impressed, problem solved, and the disciples are like, and, and, and again, amazing, earlier, in, it's the same chapter, earlier in chapter 7, the scribes, the, the people in the knowledge of the Jewish culture, the, the religion of the Jews, based on the word of God, can't figure Jesus out, they don't understand him, they're arguing with him, and thinking he's breaking all of their laws. Then we go just later on in the chapter, and you go up to Gentile territory, and there's a woman who debates with him, and out, and outmaneuvers him. Again, not that she outsmarted him, but he's setting her up. He was setting the Pharisees, or the religious leaders of Pharisees, setting them up also to make a self-correction. I mean, he would say, he would challenge them, and they would challenge him right back instead of going, yes, but, and then they'd come up with a good answer. They would come up with a, a no, that's that, not, not even close. That's, that's a stupid answer. But she, when she was challenged, she comes up with, yes, that is the right answer. Anyway. It's amazing stuff. Now, here we go right here. Now, I'm going to read to you the English Standard Version, and then we'll break this down, or maybe make some comments as we go. On the notes, English Standard Version. And from there, he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon and entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. Now, well, the first thing that word went um, is point two on page two. The word went, I've got the Greek word there, is stronger than the typical word. There's another Greek word for go or went and indicates a, a decisive departure. It's not just he, he went or he, he goes. It was a, a, a purposeful going. It was intentional. He is leaving something and going to something else. And I think in Mark, it's pretty clear he's leaving the scribes he's leaving the religious leaders he's leaving the jews who want to argue with him and decisively going to gentile territory he's going into gentile territory and he's going to spend a lot of time there so again that word went is probably purposeful uh and entered a house now again a lot of times you see him into a house so he's in some civilized area uh residential area someone's home Uh, And once again, when he sent his disciples out, he says, you find a place to stay and you stay at that house. If they welcome you, you stay there, bring your blessing. So Jesus probably doesn't own property up in Phoenicia or in Tyre, nor do his disciples own property up here. There's probably some place he went that he was welcomed that they're probably staying at. And And he wants to be there apparently alone with his disciples. He's seeking out privacy. Obviously, his disciples have a lot to learn. They're, they're about ready for graduation, the halfway point in, in, uh, in Mark chapter 8 when they're up on, on Caesarea Philippi. And from there, they're going to m- march down to the rest of the story. is going to be Jesus on his way to the cross. So, I mean, he is running out of, I don't want to say the Lord is running out of time, but the disciples, you know, it's like to spend some time alone with them, to get them on the same page uh, is, is crucial. So he wants to be alone. Yet, it says he could not be hidden. Now, how can you go, like I said, how can you go from uh, Galilee up here into Phoenician territory, Gentile territory, the Jewish Messiah, and people know who you are? There's no magazines, there's no you know, television, there's no podcasts. Or, it's like, how, how do they know? Well, just by the, having seen him and reporting and the stories, he goes, he can't, it can't be hidden that he's there. So you kind of get that feeling of how, 
well proclaimed the gospel is or the message that Jesus has, is brought, the message of the kingdom has come. But while he could not be hidden, and so he's in this house, and immediately, he, once he gets there and he kind of gets settled in, immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. The last time in the book of Mark someone falls down at his feet is Jairus with his little daughter, the synagogue ruler. And now this woman comes and falls down at his feet because her daughter has an unclean spirit, a little daughter, uh, a young girl. Turn the page, page 2, chapter 7, verse 26. Now we begin to qualify. What kind of woman is this? Now the woman was a Gentile. And that would probably mean Gentile, not Jewish, but it would mean Greek-speaking. A Syrophoenician by birth. Now, this is the land of Phoenicia. Syria is over here. So Syrophoenicia, that is, the Phoenicians had other lands that they'd influenced, especially on the north coast of Africa. So you may have Phoenicians over there that had sailed over. So this identifies her as being a Phoenician that is settled in this area and was born and raised in Syria, Phoenicia, not one of the outposts that they'd sailed to because they're great seafaring people. Now the woman was a Gentile, a serial Phoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Uh, so she's begging Jesus to, to cast the demon out of her daughter. I want to show you this very quickly. I, I want, I'm going to go to Acts chapter 12. Uh, and it's, it's going to seem to be off subject. Uh, but this is, uh, say, yeah, 35, four, yeah, 35 AD, chapter 12, up till, you know, 43 AD. So this is within 13 years of this event taking place. This was a Gentile territory. The Seleucids uh, had, that had come and infiltrated Jerusalem or Judea fought the Maccabees. They came from this area. The Alexander's general, the Seleucid, had settled this area. Uh, they were powerful. They were prosperous. You know, Tyre, you've heard of Tyre and all the, the wealth they had. They were on the coastal plain, so the trade routes ran right down. The interstate ran right through their, their front yard. So they were a, 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 a prosperous people. They had cash, but they needed, they needed bread. Now, Herod Agrippa, who will be king in Acts, he's going to cut off John's brother, James's head, uh, and he's going to have Peter put in prison. And Peter will be uh, escape uh, with the, uh, the angel letting him out of prison. That's in chapter 12. But in chapter 12, that where Peter's let out of prison, arrested by Herod Agrippa I, uh, and, and is let out, Chapter 12, verse 19 of Acts. I just want to make a point. These people, the Phoenicians, Tyre and Sidon, were dependent on Israel for bread. They were willing to pay for it. They were begging Agrippa. And when Agrippa was, would agree and send them bread from his community, this thing of these guys as Ukraine and Agrippa as Joe Biden. And Ukraine wants more money. And he just keeps sending money. And Ukraine is going to say all these great things about Joe Biden. That's, that's Herod Agrippa, who's going to say, okay, I will grant you the grain. I'll give you the bread. And they're like, oh, here it is. 
Then Herod, okay, chapter 12, verse 19. After Herod had had a thorough search made for him, Peter, and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards in order that they be executed. So Peter gets out of prison. Herod Agrippa I kills the guards. Then Herod went from Judea, that's Jerusalem, to Caesarea. Uh, that's right there. That picture right there is Caesarea. That's very close to where Herod would be sitting in the, the little stadium there as he watched the games and made a speech to the crowd. He had a, was, Josephus records he had a silver garment on that just glowed. The sun was shining on it. In fact, he may have gotten overheated with it. But he would be right there overlooking the Mediterranean Sea, watching the games and speaking to the crowd. So he goes from Judea to Caesarea. Now, that's not Caesarea Philippi up here. This is Caesarea down here by the, on the coast, down here overlooking the Sea of Mediterranean, Mediterranean Sea. Uh, he had been quarreling. Watch. He, uh, Herod Agrippa I, had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon over food. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. Now, they were not at arms with each other. They were not, like, fighting. They just wanted some kind of agreement. We'll give you whatever you want, but we need your food supply. We need the bread up here. And Blastus Blastus had done some negotiation on the appointed day herod wearing his royal robes which josephus records as being sewn into out of silver there's a silver everything was silver on him his royal robes sat on his throne right there in in caesarea by in that little hippodrome there he delivered a public address to the people and they shouted uh this is the voice of a god not a man now that's him speaking to some of the people that come down from Tyre, and they're so thankful that they're getting bread from him, and he's, he's speaking to them, and they're applauding. Well, of course, they're going to just clamor on him and, and thank him and how great he is because he gave them the bread they wanted. Uh, and you can just imagine like a president flying to a foreign country, giving them a huge check, and they're all like, oh, you're the greatest, you're the greatest, and the president doesn't even really know where he's at and is being eaten by worms. Well, that's, that's Herod. He's being eaten by worms and doesn't even know it. Um, Josephus records the same thing. Then they shouted, this is the voice of a god, not a man, immediately because Herod did not give praise to God, and Herod Agrippa was a devout Jew following the law as, as strictly as he could because he wanted to keep the Jews happy. He did not give praise to God. An angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. I've got in my notes right here on my, on my page here. Josephus said he fell that day, and for five more days he was eaten by worms and died screaming. And so the, the worms, the Bible makes it appear that he was struck by God and just assume he was struck by God, eaten by worms, and died right there on the platform because it doesn't give you the details. But he, was, he passed out, fell down. Josephus doesn't say he was struck by God. It says he's being eaten by worms. The silver coat on him uh, maybe overheated him. He 
pass out. They take him back and lay there for five days in misery as the worms ate him. And finally, they crawled out of his body, and he was dying as he was being eaten by worms. That's the end of Herod Agrippa. Nonetheless, not really much about our story here today. Talk about being unclean. That's fairly unclean. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. Uh, Then Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission. They returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John Mark. Now, one of the reasons this may be here was this was when Barnabas and Paul had come out of Antioch up here further north and come down to Jerusalem for the Jerusalem Council, or not the Jerusalem Council, but for some advice, and had gone back up. And that's maybe why that story's there. But nonetheless, the point being, these guys were dependent on bread from Judea. And so Jerusalem and Judea, uh, if you want to say the fields, especially in uh, uh, the Jezreel Valley that were producing the crops, were being shipped up here to Phoenicia to benefit the people of Phoenicia, while politically, you know, you may have had your conservative group saying, why are we sending our bread up to Phoenicia, these arrogant people that have all this stuff? Well, we, they, they want it. We're going to have some kind of negotiation. And so the elite were gaining advantage here in Judea by sending their bread up here. And so there's a, there may be a hint, and we're going to look at several things here. When Jesus talks to the woman, he may be actually, potentially, he may be, have an underlying political, why would we take the bread from Judea from the children of God and give it to the dogs, the Gentiles. Why are we that could you could just hear that could almost be like a talking point of the uh, the zealots. Why are we taking the people of God's bread and giving it to the dogs just for political favor? You could hear that going on. Or remember the one of the last things that had taken place is Jesus had fed 5,000. They'd collected a lot of the you know baskets of bread. And if you go to the book of John, they did, not, they did not receive the bread of life. They ate the bread, but Jesus was offering him himself. And they, they didn't take, they took the bread. In fact, they wanted breakfast next. It's like, he says, you didn't come to me because of a sign. You came to me because I fed you. That was not me feeding you. That was me giving you a sign. So you would say, who is this? And when you asked, who is this, I could explain, I am the bread of life. I bring you life. But you didn't ask the question. You just said, can we have breakfast? It's like, you missed the whole point. And then they argued, then he had a big argument. He pushed the theologically, he pushed it so far that they all left him. Many of his disciples went away. He said, we, this, is not, this is not what we came for. We came for bread. We came for healing. We came for the show. And, and well, we know what you're talking about. Just like the Pharisees, they, they, they didn't understand it. So he goes up here. So you have the bread that was rejected by the people of Israel. They picked it up. They collected it. And they rejected the bread uh, of life. And so here's Jesus up here in Tyre. So here we go back to the text. So chapter uh, 7, verse 26, top of page 2. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. All she wants is Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter. How hard is that? It's gone. She's got great faith. But Jesus doesn't do that. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I do not think I'm trying to be blasphemous or making fun of Jesus. But uh, you could see he could have said this a lot nicer. And he doesn't say it nice. He says, let the children be fed first. He said, I'm not, in other words, let the children be fed first. This is not my priority. 
I'm here to teach my disciples, the people of God, the, pe- the children of Israel, the disciples, and I'm not going to do this. Uh, we're not going to take the bread for political reasons and send it up to the Phoenicians anymore. Or I'm trying to feed the Jews, and I'm trying to get them to eat first. For it is not right to take the children's bread. I came for the Jews. It's not right for me to take my ministry, take what I have for the Jews, and throw it to the dogs. Now, uh, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She is clearly being called a dog. He's clearly calling someone else the children and saying, you're asking me to cast the demon out of your daughter. That does not belong to you. It belongs to the children. I am going to serve the children first, the bread that goes to the children. Why would I take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? Now, you can't say that nice because, if you want to see this right here, point four, dog was an offensive insult. Dogs were considered, now again, we all, not we, me and Tony don't, but all of our boys have dogs in their homes. Many people have dogs. That's fine. In America, people have dogs in stores and grocery carts and restaurants. They have dogs everywhere. Dogs become like that's part of the family in fact they say if you don't have if your dog is not a pet your dog is part of we you don't know this the culture don't i'm not knocking that at all but i am making sure that you understand i don't have a dog in my house um i had six boys in my house and we finally got that cleaned up and uh, we're not going to go back again well that's insulting to the dogs see how twisted it's like it's all it's all a cultural thing but again the jews did not have dogs like americans have dogs so this is hard for us to understand uh potentially they were unclean because they ate garbage and dead carcasses they they ran the streets dogs ran the streets uh and even if you say well that's that's not the case well in the old testament the term was used as, of a worthless dispensable person and i can give you examples first samuel second samuel isaiah Dog, when their people are referred to as dogs, it's not a complimentary term. It's like you're unclean. We don't even have room for you. There's no place for you here. You're, you're, you're dispensable. Uh, Matthew, you say, well, that's not the case. Well, Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, Jesus warns his followers not to take what is sacred and throw it to the dogs. Don't take what is sacred that you hold holy and take it and try and present it to the dogs because dogs can't appreciate what is holy. What you value, the last place you want what you value is to put it with the dogs. That's ridiculous. You keep it and you take care of it. So if you hold something precious, don't be showing it and flaunting the people that are going to mock it and don't understand it. Hold, protect it. And he's talking not, not about not witnessing, but the same thing, you don't cast pearls before swine. If you have a pearl of understanding and you have people that are mocking it, don't understand it, just keep it to yourself. Now, again, that's not saying don't evangelize, but also saying don't let what you hold to be sacred, like the deity of Christ, the integrity of the Word of God, and then try and go to some atheistic secular university and say, well, I base my life on Jesus Christ and the Word of God and let the pigs tear it apart. Just let them be unclean. Again, that's not saying don't evangelize. There's a place and time, but Jesus does say that. And he uses the dog. Don't take what is sacred and throw it to a dog. So now he calls this woman a dog. 
Paul himself in, in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, warning against religious leaders that were against Christianity and were still caught up in the law that were into circumcision or Christians who were still trying to follow the Jewish circumcision, uh, he, he warns the Philippians, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And that's at Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. So even Paul, when he was trying to warn the Philippians of, of people that are coming against Christianity, that they're bringing in false doctrine, he calls them, look out for those dogs, those mutilators of the flesh. And the mutilators of the flesh would be those that say to be a Christian and follow Christ. You've got to, get, sir, you've got to cut off part of your body first and be circumcised before you can follow Christ. He says they're mutilators of the flesh. They're, they're dogs. So from the Old Testament through jesus into the new testament talking to the gentiles in philippi dogs were considered that was a term of ridicule of pushing aside you are unnecessary we're not even going to pay attention to you so jesus tells this woman it's not right for me to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs now that should be in America, in a cancel culture, that is the end of the conversation. Now we start rioting, burning things down, because you called this woman a dog, and it's like canceled, uh, for example. Now the redeeming part of this would be point five, is that there's two words for dog. Normally a dog lived in the streets like a wild animal, and it was referred to a K-Y-O-N, the Greek word, Chiron. K-Y, did I spell that? Did I add a letter there? Yes, I added a letter there. Chiron, right there. The diminutive, or if you had a smaller dog, you're going to say small dog, like you have Petra and Petros. You can have a Petra, which is a, uh, 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 a rock formation, but you can have a Petros, which is a small rock that you can throw. For example, Jesus says in chapter, later on in chapter 8, 9, up, yeah, chapter 8, uh, up at Caesarea Philippi, he's going to stand here in front of uh, the rock formation called the Gates of Hades, and he's going to say, uh, the, call it a Petra, and he says, upon this rock, he tells Peter, Peter, you are Petros, and upon this Petra, I'm going to build my church. So your Bible may come across, you are Peter, the rock, and upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. He's saying, Peter, you are a, a rock that can be picked up and thrown, or a small rock, and upon this rock formation, I'm going to build my church. Petros, Petra. One is a small rock, one is a big rock. Here's the same thing taking place right here. Kion uh, is a dog, a dog out in the streets, a, a wild dog, but people did have Kynarion. Now here we go. See if I can do this real quickly without boring you. See, I mean, Kynarion, which is again the small dog. This is the big dog, the outside dog. And Jesus is saying this right here. He's not saying this. He's saying the small dog. And in fact, that's what the woman hears because she's going to refer to the same, use the same term, and refer to the dogs that are under the table the children are eating from. So this is clearly not a uh, junkyard dog this is a small dog in in the house so nonetheless that could be the redeeming part of this he doesn't say this to the woman he says this uh and i think you can see that on page three 
see if you can see this right yeah chapter 27 verse 27 28 there are in the greek and i've got it in in the square is the word children techna and technon that jesus uses and she's going to use the word peidion for children so jesus says techna which is a natural born child and she's going to change the word children to peidion which is a small child or anyone in the household, even the servants of the, the household. And Jesus, you can see both her and Jesus are using the word for dogs, which is the house dog, a smaller dog. Nonetheless, keep that in mind. So Jesus says to her, chapter 7, verse 27, and he said to her, let the children be fed first. A key word there, theologically, is first. The children have priority. And now we're getting into uh, eschatology, and this goes all the way through the Old Testament, starting in Genesis. I've got it written down here. If you turn to page 3 very quickly, uh, the ministry of salvation to the Jews first, and then to the Gentiles is the original plan and the eschatological outcome. So you're going to start in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And I've got it written down there in the notes. And that is where Abraham is called, that you will become a great nation, and you'll be blessed. Israel, Abraham's family will be blessed, and all nations will be blessed through you. Not by Abraham is not going to be such a blessing that he can bless all the nations. But Abraham is going to be blessed by God, and through God blessing Abraham, all nations are going to be blessed. God is blessing the Jews first, and through the blessing of the Jews, all nations are going to get blessed. It is God doing the blessing here, and God doing the blessing here. He's not going to bless the Jews, and then the Jews in their humility are going to bless the nations. God is going to bless the Jews And in the process of blessing the Jews, he'll then bless all the nations. His plan is to save all the nations. That's why he chose Abraham. He's working a plan of salvation. But for this plan to work, you can't take your eye off the ball. The Jews have to be blessed first because that's God. Something's going to happen to the Jews. And through the blessing of the Jews, all the nations will receive it. If the Jews are not blessed or if the Jews are not there the nations are not going to be blessed. So it's not that the Jews are better, it's that they're first in line. It's the sequence of events. They're not, they don't get it first, and then, you know, well, we'll see what happens to the nations. God is not saving the Jews just to save the Jews. He's saving the Jews in the process of saving the entire world. And that comes to Jesus is going to come to the Jews He's going to come through the Jews. He's going to come to the Jews. And that Messiah that came to save the Jews is going to be understood by the Jews. And the message is then going to go to all the nations. Because what Jesus did for the Jews, he didn't just do for the Jews. He did it for everybody else. But the Jews will be the first ones to understand it. And they will take the message. And if you look at the disciples, Peter, Paul, they were the Jews who received it and took it to the nations. And that is the priority. That is how it's going to work. This woman understands that. 
she, he, she understands Jesus is not calling her a dog to insult her. He's checking, do you understand what's going on here? Now, again, you're going to have to decide this. He's challenging her, and she comes back with this answer that indicates she understands. Okay, let's go through some of these other verses. Uh, we could we just read chapter page 3, 7b, Isaiah 2, 2 through 3 eschatologically in isaiah and this is throughout the old testament it shall come to pass in the latter days that's eschatological in the last times that the mountain of the house of the lord shall be established it's first established as the highest of the mountains the temple of god the mount of god is going to be the highest of all the mountains and it shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it so before all the nations can flow to jesus christ on the temple mount when it's exalted in the end times it's got to be exalted in the end times first so the nations can come to it now this is getting into the theology concept of it's, it's a typical idea now but not yet in other words throughout jesus ministry when jesus came the kingdom of god has come here it is but not yet it's you can talk to Jesus, Jesus can heal you, you can receive salvation, but it's not here yet. Today, we are living in the now, but not yet. You are children of God, but the children of God have not yet been manifest. You are seated in heavenly places, but the kingdom of God has not come yet. You, you are now saved, but salvation is not here yet. Yet you, you see, and it's like that that is the tension and jesus that's what's happening right here with this woman the jews first and then the nations and so the woman has some understanding of this and it goes, it goes all the way i got other verses uh the best one may be on page four the last one paul in romans chapter one verse 16 for writing to the romans writing to the romans it's his it's his application letter he's they already have a church. The church in Rome was established before Peter and before Paul got there. It was established after the day of Pentecost of Jews going back to Rome and bringing the message of the kingdom, and the church was started. So the church of Rome is up and running. Paul just wants to visit the church. So when he's writing the letter of Romans, he's writing his theology so he can come in line with them. See, we are on the same page. He's almost writing an approval letter. Here's what I believe. He even starts and says, I hope to come to you to share some spiritual blessing with you. What I mean is that we can be mutually encouraged. I want to be part of your church and you can help me, but I also have something that will benefit you. Let's see if we can get this to work out. That's what Paul is writing. So anyway, in chapter one of Romans, writing to the Gentile church in Rome, he writes, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. And that does not, ashamed does not mean embarrassed. I'm not embarrassed by the gospel. That ideal is I'm not ever let down. I'm not disappointed. I'm not, it's not like you ought, to see, uh, you ought to see Michael Jordan play basketball. And then you go watch Michael Jordan and he fouls out in the first quarter. It's like, well, that was embarrassing. I, I thought, you know, you never can brag about Michael Jordan without going to the game and saying, see, I was not embarrassed. I was not ashamed of saying Michael Jordan's my favorite player. That's what Paul's saying here. I am not ashamed of the gospel. When I tell you it can save you, it can change your life. I'm not ashamed. It's not like, well, I'm kind of embarrassed to say that I follow Christ. Don't be embarrassed. Go ahead and tell everybody, you know, wear a cross necklace. I, yes, I'm a Christian. That's not what he's saying. He says, I've never been, I'm not ashamed. When I say, watch, the gospel can fix this, it does. When Michael Jordan can win the game, he does. 
I'm not disappointed in the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now watch this. To the Jew first and also to the Gentile. That's the order. And he's he's beginning his theology right there. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ to all men, the whole world, but first to the Jew. The Jewish people have to be established. The Messiah comes and then from there to the whole world. Now we go back to this text right here. And tick tock, tick tock. And he said to her, let the children, or he said to her, let the children be fed first. Let, in other words, let Israel be fed first. For it is not right, it is not right to go to the nations first and throw the gospel, the kingdom of God, to the dogs. No. I've got to stay, listen, I, I can't just be running around listening to Phoenician women asking me to cast demons out. I am the Jewish Messiah. The Jews have to understand it first. And then we'll worry about the dogs. And she says, but she answered him, yes, Lord, yes. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. I agree. That is the big, first the Jew, then the Gentiles. But understand, even while the children are eating, crumbs are going to fall off the table. And now, but not yet. In other words, he's talking big picture. This is the way it works. You're going to be last. She says, right, but right now, you're here. <laughs> you're, in other words, you're a crumb that has fallen off the Jewish table. What are you doing here? If you are the bread of life, why aren't the Jews eating the bread? Why are you up here in Phoenicia? I'll eat what the children have dropped on the floor. I'll take the crumbs now while we wait for the not yet to come. And you've got to think Jesus had a smirk and a smile on his face. He says, and he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. It's like, now she didn't talk him into something. He dropped on her this process, and she goes, yep, I know where we stand. Not second rate, but second in the sequence. But what is the what, what are you doing here what you got you got it dropped off the table the jews the children doesn't seem like they ate all the bread i'll just take the crumb that's standing here right now what about my daughter wow what a great answer and so uh and she went home and found the child lying in the bed and the demon gone again resting healthy and recovering and uh, she went home and found that now again i would like to pick up with this next week maybe even read matthew's account if you haven't read matthew's account uh, you can read that because there's something going on there all i gotta quit just out of respect for humanity and cultural norms but i want to go read matthew chapter 7 because there she starts calling him lord and calling referring to david she's going to bring david in the conversation realize if anyone is going to go up here and mess with the unclean you've got got disciples you've got levi who himself is unclean Uh, not unclean yeah unclean because he's a tax collector he's going to go up here and now he's up in phoenicia territory and uh that's matthew and he's going to see this thing take place and he records it in matthew chapter 12 and it is a similar exact same story just a little few a few additional words because you know the bible records statements to capture the idea but it's like you know you went in and had a meeting with the boss what the boss say he says well i'm doing a good job 
and I'm getting a promotion. What do you say? Well, I said, well, you know, I, I've been waiting for a long time. This is nice. The conversation might have taken 30 minutes or an hour, but basically says, you're getting a promotion. You say, well, I've been waiting for it. I'm glad it finally arrived. Sums it up. So these conversations, so Matthew could go ahead and take different snippets out of the same conversation because Peter was there hearing the conversation recorded by Mark. Matthew was there hearing the conversation, and he adds some other things to it. And it's the same story, uh, but yet it's, uh, you can understand her, her understanding is even deeper, I think, than what Mark captures. I'll, I'll pray, and we'll pick this up next week. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We thank you for the Word of God, and do us that we would honor it, that we'd respect it, and allow it to transform our lives. And when we look at these things, we are excited about the coming kingdom and the opportunities that uh, we have to follow you as you work in history, you work in our lives uh, right now today we do thank you for your kingdom and ask that we would again be faithful to the until that day it comes in jesus name we pray amen thank you for being here